Welcome to this week's podcast. With me, Harriet Walker, dietitian, big stone lifter. Atlas stones, Greg, you have to qualify okay, that. Okay, radio. We're going to talk about fat. We're going to chew the fat. That's a nice little intro. Okay, well, let's bring it on. Welcome to the Body Science Podcast, bringing you everything you need, want, and should know about health, fitness, nutrition, and training. As always, the information contained in this podcast is for the information purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or be prescriptive to treat, prevent, or manage any injury, disease, or other health-related condition. This podcast is brought to you by Hydroxy Burn Shred. Get in the fat-burning zone, both physically and mentally, with this potent combination of thermogenic fat burners and mood-boosting nootropic ingredients. Scientifically designed to help you reach your weight loss goals, destroy stubborn fat cells, speed metabolism, boost energy, and improve your mood. With an industry-leading 4 grams of acetyl-L-carnitine plus green tea extract, guarana, and hydroxy citric acid, Hydroxy Burn Shred will take your training and weight loss journey to a whole new level. Welcome to the home of Fit, Happy and Healthy. We're at Body Science HQ and with me is everyone's favourite dietitian, Harriet Walker. I'll slip you the 50 later, Greg. I Thank know. you. It's good to be back. And we've got a big topic here we're going to talk about. We pulled Harriet in to talk about fat. Today we're going to, just let me read what she said I had to say. We're going to, today we are chewing the fat on fats. <laughs> fat digestion, metabolism, types of fats, saturated fats and unsaturated fats. What are the best sources? Roles in your body, little personal. This is what I get for being. How to track your fat intake. This is what I get for trying to be organised. Greg. It's very helpful when you do that. Just saying. So let's let's not muck around. Let's talk about it. Yeah, let's let's jump right on in. So fat as a macronutrient, macronutrient mm-hmm. is a very controversial topic. I mean, it's something that, you know, is in fashion some weeks. It is out of fashion other weeks. It is, you know, the curing all sorts of diseases one week. And then, you know, it, there's a lot of misinformation. So as always, what I like to do is start from the top, give a general explanation about what fats are. how they act in the body, what are their roles, and we can kind of work backwards from there and get into some of the more nitty-gritty topics. So we're going to talk about fat and roles, okay? Fat roles. We're not talking about fat roles, Greg. We're talking about roles of fat. Yeah, I'm just showing my level of education there. (laughs) Can we just step back a bit for those people that are new? Why do we call it a macronutrient? So a macronutrient, macro meaning large, nutrient meaning source of sustenance. We need to eat a large amount of fats, carbs and protein are our three macronutrients. Mm -hmm. We need to eat them in large amounts each day to provide energy. So within carbs, fats and proteins, there are bonds which get broken to yield energy and that's why we need macronutrients. Okay, can you explain what a fat is? A fat is a a compound. So Mm -hmm. basically it's a string of carbons that gets broken down for energy. Fats can be in short chains, uh, medium chains or long chains and that's how we classify them. So Harry, can you tell us about the different chains of fat? Like why do people need to understand this? It comes down to the chemistry, the way in which the molecules of fat are broken down in the Mm -hmm. body and built up in the body. In the same way we look at protein being broken down into amino acids as the individual building blocks and when we break down long like chains, branches of carbohydrate, we get broken down into sugars and the same thing happens with fats. We have these long chain fats and they get broken down into smaller units in order for them to be absorbed and used as energy or stored. Mm -hmm. So when we look at the chemistry of fats, if you think about like a centipede, you've got the middle part of the fat, which is carbon. So little carbon units, so little balls, carbon, 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 carbon. And what's coming out as the little legs are hydrogen atoms. So that's just the chemistry. You'd have to go into a little bit more detail 
and that's probably offensively simple. But if you think about like a little centipede, you've got carbon backbone and then you've got little H hydrogen legs. And this is how it's important to sort of understand that stuff when we start looking at how fat's broken down in the body. But yeah, so when we consume fat, dietary fat, it's a really rich energy source. So that's so, what it's used for. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Essentially, I mean, fat has a lot of different roles in the body. You know, we use it as energy. That's sort of a primary thing, but it also has biological uses. So that's when we start looking at breaking down the topic of fat into the fat that's stored. And then we can have the biologically active fats like our essential fatty acids that actually have a role in like cell membranes, hormones as well, absorption of vitamins D, E, A and K. Yeah. So we can we can really break fats down into fat as a macronutrient. Yep. in comparison to carbs, fats, protein. Mm-hmm. And then it, once we have that one topic, we can look at uh, the chemical makeup of fats. So we look at monounsaturated, polyunsaturated and saturated fats. And they all have different properties that we use to sort of classify them and how they're used in the body as well. So, yeah, I mean, we consume fat in our diet. It gets obviously broken down, goes through to the small, in, uh, small intestine. It gets broken down by enzymes in the gut, gets chopped up into small particles in the same way that carbohydrates get broken down into sugars, proteins get broken down into amino acids. We break these fats down because they can't be absorbed straight into the bloodstream. The thing with fat is that it's hydrophobic waterphobic. So we know that when you see in the tub of washing up water, you see the globules of fat sitting on, it's scared of water. It doesn't click with water. So because our, the human body is made up of 70, 80% water, fat requires certain, like a certain pathway for breakdown in order for it to be absorbed. So it has to get packaged up. So we consume fat, it gets broken down into smaller units in the stomach, and then it gets absorbed through into, and it gets packaged up into these little packages called chylomicrons. So they are small, kind of like a kinder surprise, maybe. So <laughs> And the chocolate, we'll all get it. Yeah, yeah, so if you think about it, it's like a little container that helps it be carried through the lymphatic system and fat goes into the lymphatic capillaries, which is basically like a, you know the blood system in our body and it gets taken through there up into the heart. The heart's the first place where fats get used, like the heart gets the first dibs on fat and then it can be used elsewhere in the body as energy or it can be stored for later on, which is, you know, 101 of how fat is working in our body and then we can work backwards into why we why we need it and some of the other more controversial topics with fat so for those of us that are not as educated as you the heart gets first dibs on fat so if you eat a massive fatty meal yes what what are you doing there well i mean like with everything in excess our body wants to make sure that we go back to that homeostasis yeah that's your favorite word my favorite word so in excess our body consumes a large chunk of fat it gets broken down. It gets packaged up into those little kinder surprise, carlomicrons, tiny, tiny little things that can travel through the lymphatic system. Once the heart sort of, you know, decided whether it needs the energy or whether that needs to be stored, it goes away. If we've eaten excess, we are going to be storing that excess those excess fatty acids in fat cells, yeah, as lipids. So during that process of that, where the fat goes in the body, is that putting stress on the heart to eat a lot of fat like that? I don't think it's a matter of stress per se. I think what puts... Because I'm just thinking like hamburgers going through the heart, you know what I mean? No, well, by that stage, it's been broken down quite heavily. So it's not necessarily putting a load on the 
the heart. I think, you know, our body always works really well to, you know, drip feed and whatnot. What's going to put pressure on our heart is more like increased blood pressure. You know, those sort of lifestyle impacts of having high blood pressure, that's yeah. not, that's probably more likely to put pressure on the heart per se than mm-hmm. say a large dietary load of energy. And our body is very efficient at funneling excess energy away into adipose tissue, which is our fat tissue, so that we have it there for next time. Okay, nice. Look, a big question that's thrown around a, a fair bit around me, and I get this question all the time, is the omega-3-6 ratio. Like, do, does this matter? Like, I've heard stories of people that eat too much chicken are high in omega-6 and it causes struggles with omega-3. And Yeah, look, it's an, interest, it's an interesting topic. And I think this has really come up when we talk, well, when we're looking from an evolutionary diet perspective. We used to consume a diet that was, oh, I, th- I think maybe take a step back and say omega-6 and omega-3s are essential fatty acids. Yep, so sorry. essential means we cannot consume them in our diet. And they both have biological impacts in our diet. So we need those fatty acids for anti-inflammatory purposes. We need those fats for you know cell membranes. So we use fat biologically, as I was talking about earlier. So we can get omega-6s and omega-3s from both plant sources and animal sources. Oh, we're going to talk about that in a second. Yes, I look forward to it. (laughs) So if you think about, remember, we've talked about iron before. You've got your plant-based iron sources and your animal-based iron sources. It's a similar concept. Uh, We can get omega-3s and 6s from plants, but they need to be converted. There's a second step. They need to be converted into the DHA EPA version, which is bioavailable for the body. And so there is a a ratio. We consume fats. We also get a certain amount of omega-3s. We get a certain amount of omega-6s dependent on what sources we get those from and they both play crucial roles in our body so before we get started on one's good one's bad and playing good cop bad cop which is really fun in the nutrition world but is never really the case we need to look at that both omega-3s and omega-6 essential fatty acids play an important role what we're looking at in terms of ratios is are we eating too much of one at the detriment to not eating enough of the other so they crowd each other out from an evolutionary perspective it appears that we used to eat close to a one-to-one ratio there's different Different theories on so one for every one unit of omega-6 we would have one unit of omega-3 these days we get omega-6s a lot more frequently in our diet mainly western diet highly processed there are a lot more vegetable oils being used which are rich in omega-6 fatty acids um, used in processing of foods we've also seen a sort of a slight decline in omega-3 consumption australia i mean obviously the, I mean, the first thing people think of is salmon as a fatty acid Acid source omega omega three. All people are taking fish oil tablets, so there's probably the two most sort of common things: vegetable oils versus fish. And we don't tend to eat as much as we used to. So people have gone and looked at other diets, more traditional diets, and they can see that traditionally there was probably more one to one ratio. These days, it's probably more like it could be anywhere from like twenty six forty omega sixes, depending on what study you've read, and like one omega three fatty acid, or give or take. There's not quite being accurate with those numbers but the the ratio is far outweighing uh, the omega-6 is a far outweighing the intake of omega-3s and so in theory that may put us in a imbalanced state in the body so if i can just throw a scenario at you 
love your scenarios. The whole world eating, Uber eating, like going out at night to restaurants. We're, we're not prepping as much of it, unless you're a mad food prepper. We're not prepping as a society as much foods we used to. We're enjoying the social aspect of life and eating. And, Absolutely. You know, just jump on Instagram if you want to see a picture of something that looks yummy. So traditionally, restaurants are going to buy the cheapest oil they can buy. Yes, correct. Okay, vegetable-based oil. Yes. Talking there. So we're talking about people getting a lot of omega-6 that eat out a lot or, or order food in and don't do their own meal prepping. Is, is this a, is this an issue? Is this, is this going to have long-term issues for us? Or Obviously, if you do it once a week, it's probably not going to have a big impact, but if it's you're eating issue, out a lot. It's an issue on a few different levels. Now, I think the immediate knee-jerk reaction when you say that omega-6s are deemed pro-inflammatory, they increase in inflammation versus omega-3s which are more associated with anti-inflammatory properties. So straight away you think oh well omega-6s must be bad, omega-3s must be good. And so the knee-jerk reaction is well we just need to eat more omega-3s which is you know for all intents and purposes would be probably a good thing. When we look at our food system today we do see a lot more processed oils which are rich in uh, omega-6s but are also probably devoid of any other kind of nutrient. So when we eat whole foods we are getting we might be getting a source of fats but we're generally also getting nutrients as well absolutely yeah. these days when we've got those highly processed foods we're eating out more what we're eating we're exposed to more omega-6s because of the processing they're cheap they're commercially you know that's profitable to use those and they're also crowding out the good fats that we might be getting in our diet if we were to so when people say oh fats are bad for you it's like it's a very nuanced topic we need to look at where the, the source of fat is coming from what other nutrients might might we be getting from it and you know with with fried fats generally come sort of carbohydrates as well so it tends to be when we're eating consuming a diet rich in takeaway <laughs> foods we are you know we're getting a lot of everything so we can't just pin it on omega sixes so three. i've just gone to a cleaning restaurant and bought this beautiful meal think i'm eating clean and they don't talk about the fat they use so we can assume it's a vegetable vegetable oil of some kind look assumption it. so what problem and i'm going to harp on fats a little bit because it's a topic that i made like Everybody wants to talk about fats. They're either eating it or they're hiding from it. It's, oh, there's no 100%. middle ground, really. So firstly, why do we use omega-6 in that aspect? I mean, obviously, it's cheaper, so it's obviously a mass-produced. Yeah. Where's omega-6 vegetable? Because when you when you think vegetable oil, you think a nice big plate of vegetables all, yeah. you know, oiled <laughs> up and I'm getting this and I'm getting all yeah, this really cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, You're yeah, not. Yeah, what yeah. is vegetable oil? Look, vegetable oil is like kind of like mystery meat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it could come from anywhere. Very commonly, it might be soybean oil. It might yeah. be canola oil. It could be like it's a plant-based oil basically and it's been processed because it, it needs to be commercially fats by themselves oxidize they react with oxygen yeah. and they become off they go rancid so you leave butter out it, you know it can it can go rancid so fat in and of itself is not very shelf stable so in order to make a fat last longer and to be able to be transported to the other side of the country or across you know across the world they need to process it so the process is there's a number of different steps but including you know removing the like you know changing the chemical structure of it they do like deodorization so they make it a neutral taste and in some cases that's good for cooking you mm. don't want the the fat to have a really strong taste as yeah. well so they, they you know there's part of it's for sort of food 
taste those sort of properties and the other part of it it needs to be commercially like you know it needs to be able to sit on the shelf for like five years we use the cheap sort of plant-based oils to produce these fats in very large amounts and and they're probably the ones that we need to sort of focus in on omega-6 in and of itself is it's useful in the body we just need to look at where our sources are coming from and what you know what we're swapping out in place of them so people say automatically oh you need to get rid of saturated fat or you need to get rid of this and that and what what's replacing it is probably a more pertinent question than just demonizing the fat itself if that yeah, makes that's sense someone, oh, that's interesting you know saturated unsaturated like what is the important thing here the omega-3 omega-6 omega-9 unsaturated saturated like i know we've got a big podcast when talking all this but obviously i want the answer right now mm. it's that is everybody else like what, what is the important thing that we should look for when we're picking a fat source well like like i said before like i mean the different you know i'm gonna lead in mcts or something after he's like that's where it's going so. yeah of course i love what we're looking at in terms of whether what fats are good or bad or how they're acting in our body you know we've got saturated fats and unsaturated fat so saturated fat and unsaturated fat are, are determined according to their chemical structure mm-hmm. so a saturated fat is generally it is solid at room temperature so the chemical structure of a saturated fat means yep, we've all that seen that it's on 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 yep. they, they layer over each other they sit on each other so they're solid at room temperature unsaturated fats have a bend in it there's a another chemical compound which means that it's bent which means it's liquid at room temperature mm-hmm. and so there, there's been research looking at whether saturated fat you know, increases risk of heart disease, increases cholesterol and leads to poor heart health. I think we're we're sort of loosening up the messaging around saturated fat. But what we do need to look at is the quality of food from which we're getting our fats from. So if we are replacing butter, which is rich in saturated fats, to a hydrogenated oil, which doesn't have any other nutrients in it, I would say that's a problem. You know, we need to just be careful with what we're replacing things or if we're replacing fat. With high carbohydrate diets, you know that are heavily processed, that's a problem too. So, can I ask that question? Why do we need to be careful? Well, I mean, research has been done looking at on a population level which diet leads to the best health outcomes, and there was early studies sort of done in the like, sort of 1980s and earlier that looked at populations who had the most risk of heart disease, risk of mortality, and what tended what the trend was coming out was that diets that were rich in saturated fats tended to, to die earlier put simply but i think with more research and with better understanding of dietary patterns and whatnot that message turned into you know all fat is bad replace it with carbohydrates and that came at a time when we were refining carbohydrates even further than your whole grain so we weren't replacing saturated fats with whole grains we were replacing saturated fats with highly processed sugar white flours and that kind of stuff so the message was replace fats with carbohydrates we will reduce our mortality rate you'll live for longer your heart will be more healthy it's not to say that still we need to be careful we don't need to be careful with the fat levels in our diet because there is a link between the you know the fats that you consume and your blood lipid profile so we're talking about cholesterol levels ldl being the less optimal level in the blood hdl being the more healthy cholesterol that we're looking at it's not confusing at all is it it certainly isn't no no, no. if you haven't picked this up by now <laughs> then look i i can't help you no it absolutely is a very tricky topic i'm giving i'm trying to be sort of as top level as possible we can definitely dig down into this a little bit more but on the for general purposes look it you know saturated fat has been associated with increased risk of heart disease and you're talking about some research where they look at population data there yeah so are you looking for someone who just eats saturated fat all day 
survey? Like, no. It's, how do you actually... It says a proportion of the diet. How do you... Like what type of populations would they have looked at? They looked at... Uh, well, one of, the, one of the studies looked at different countries. It's controversial stuff. Like it's, you know, were all the results reported properly? You know, these days, if you were to crunch that data, would it have given the same? So people looked at, you know, epidemiological studies. Did the population... Like what was the population eating on a regular basis? It's not pure saturated fat. It's as a proportion of the diet, what level of saturated fat were they consuming? And, you know, the the general consensus was that where there was higher saturated fat, there might have been an increased risk. I think look, these days it's a much more nuanced message, which is we do still need to be aware of saturated fats in high levels, which you know, impacting blood lipid levels. It's, you know, not... So why is that bad? Why is... Increasing blood lipid levels, yeah. we get, you know, increased risk of heart disease and it's associated with, with sort of hardening of the arteries, increased okay. risk of like plaques being formed on the, the blood vessels in the body as well, which leads to the sort of heart disease. And then also, uh, you know, we're looking, yeah, sort of heart health in general, basically. So diet that is anti-inflammatory, rich in omega-3s and some omega-6s from unprocessed sources with a little bit of saturated fat. I think, you know, 10% of the dietary fats coming from saturated fat is like, it's not like highly restrictive. It's, you know, consuming a broad variety from unprocessed sources would be a really good message. Focusing on the monounsaturated and the polyunsaturated fats, which have associated with positive health benefits. And the sort of the pattern of eating that we're looking at is the sort of the Mediterranean style type, which is rich in omega, no, rich, rich in omega-3 fatty acids, but also rich in those monounsaturated fats. So yeah, like we look, like people, like traditionally we've looked at, because nutrition data is, is like, it's notoriously hard to pin down a single nutrient and we've, we're moving yeah, away from single nutrient like targeting and we're looking at dietary patterns now. Yeah, cool. What is the general gist of what you're eating on a regular basis? And instead of trying to say it's saturated fat, that's what it is. It's probably not just saturated fat. It's probably not. It's I mean, probably the hamburger bun you wrap around it. Oh yeah, just put a, a bun around it. You'll be <laughs> right, mate. No, no. Like, you know, we're not looking at single nutrients anymore. I think it's really remiss to look at single nutrients and say that is it. We need to look at dietary patterns and that's what we've tried to do in the past i think with more information and better tools to analyze data we're finding that probably the message that was originally sent out might not have been a taken the right way and saw that more refined carbohydrates were being consumed potentially and also not the only component that's leading to sort of heart disease risk as well so you know we take a step back and look as at fats we need fat it is really important in the diet omega-3 fatty acids are associated with reduced inflammation Omega-6 fatty acids are still very necessary in the diet. We just want to make sure there's a balance there. We want to make sure that we're getting monounsaturated fats. You know, we're looking at things like olive oils, nuts, seeds, avocado as being those rich sort of fat sources, rich in monounsaturated fat. We want to make sure that we're getting a balance and we're not, I suppose, we're going back to what you were saying earlier, if we're producing most of our food at home, we really don't have to think as much about this yeah, as we're talking about right now. Like it becomes very complicated, but as soon as you start making more of your own food and, and looking at the food that you're consuming, you can kind of see that, yeah, that's probably going to give me more nutrients than the highly processed oil over there. Okay, so a little scenario again, because I like throwing those at you, it's good. Hmm. 
Mm. We've been out of breakfast a couple of times this week with the crew. Yep. So there was a fair bit of egg, bacon, avocado hitting plates. Yep. Great. Great. Yeah. That's great. Look, it comes down to also the amounts. So my next question is going to be to you, should we eat fats in the morning, the middle of the day, the end of the day? Like I sort of see heavy fat mornings, heavy fat dinners. Yep. Lunchtime's one of those things I better eat healthy. So where... where <laughs> One, <clears throat> well, just I'm, one I'm not about me. I'm just talking about what I see when I go to restaurants right, and stuff. Roger. Yep. Yeah, you know, like there's a lot of steaks and stuff on plates. And so back to the first question, not too much. Look, people need to get a get. Nobody really knows what they should do. No. You go to Google, you're going to get a billion things. You're going to fall into keto worlds, carnivore worlds, vegan worlds. So what are the dietitians, nutritionists, and what's the world pushing? Is obviously when I walk into a cafe and I say I'll have bacon, eggs, and avocado, I have no idea how much fat's in that. And I'm just thinking, gee, that's going to taste good. Yeah, it's going to taste delicious. So that's another aspect that we need to look at and that's the sort of the deliciousness that is fat and the way our body enjoys it and our brain enjoys it too but going back to what you're sort of asking like what like what and how do we eat fat the first thing that we should have probably covered off earlier on when we're talking about macronutrients is a calorie content of fats so yep. we know we've got carbs fats protein macronutrients fat has nine calories per gram protein has four calories per gram carbs have four calories per gram so straight away you can see that fats have over double the energy per gram. And all fats are created equal in that department? Yep. Calorie for calorie, they some of them can react differently in the body. We can talk about that in terms of um, MCT oils a little bit yeah. later on. But for the whole, yeah. So I can see that if I have a calorie budget of 2,000 calories and I want to eat lots of food, I'm going to use up my calorie budget pretty quickly if I'm really fat dominant. And this is before we start looking at types and qualities of fat. So we start with a calorie budget and look at what proportion is coming from fats. So we want to see general rule of thumb 25 to 30% of our daily calorie intake coming from fats. And some people use the the number, the figure of like one gram per kilo of body weight as a minimum. That might go up or down just depending, but just as a rule of thumb, we'll throw that one out there. You know, so once we know how much fat we need to eat, how you distribute it across the day, you know, a part of that's going to be personal preference. But also when we look at the properties of fat in our stomach, fat helps you feel full. So that's a really good thing. And plus it slows, you know, digest like the emptying, gastric emptying in our stomach. So it helps you feel fuller for longer. Our mouth, there's a there's mouth feel that fat has. So psychologically, when you look at fat-free foods, not as tasty. Straight away in our mouth, there's receptors that go, yep, that's really smooth, nice, silky texture in my mouth. Take the fat away, not really interested in that food anymore. So when you look at dietary products, what you'll see when they're low fat is they've tried to mimic that mouth feel with fat, with thickness, because that's what we get in our mouth. It gives us that perception of, yep, this is delicious. I'm really enjoying this. And then it gets digested, you know, obviously for energy purposes. But when we're consuming food for pleasure, fat's a really important part of, you know, our diet. So when we start restricting our fat, you know, food doesn't taste as good. So when it comes to how much fat we eat, we're looking at a percentage first. Okay, it should be about 25, 30%. Then we're looking at what's our total daily calorie budget, which will tell us how many grams in an absolute manner are we getting from fat. And then we can start choosing, okay, what types of fat am I going to have? And this is when we can make it super simple. We just want to choose foods that are as unprocessed as possible that looks like kind of where it came from. Following, you know, like when we're looking at the Mediterranean diet as one that has been researched really heavily and that has shown, you know, to have the best health benefits. We're looking at things like nuts, seeds, oily fish, olive oil, avocado. So 
you can sort of look at your diet, look at where your sources of fats are coming from. If they've got a little bit of colour to them or, you know, they, they look like food as opposed to the yellows and browns of fried food, just visually you can start making better choices. And that's really put simply. But when we're eating out quite a lot, if you were having, you know, we got to look at the balance of the diet as well. So, you know, where how you distribute your, your fat intake across the day really comes down to personal preference. But okay. as a general rule, I like to make sure there's a healthy source of fat in every one of my meals for that satiety factor in you know just straight up is I know that when I don't have a little bit of fat in my breakfast or my lunch or my dinner you know I don't have that same satisfaction as if I've had a little bit of fat but you know there there was a trend in the early probably early 90s when we were going low fat and that wasn't a good idea either you know we know biologically we need fat to run our body you know for all the purposes I sort of described earlier we need fat for hormones for messages for cell membranes brains, vitamin and mineral absorption. So when we, we do these knee-jerk reactions like, oh, well, I found this outcome, it must be bad. It's never good or bad. It's like it's somewhere in between there. And we know like, especially with men, when they go completely low, like in bodybuilding populations, we see testosterone production, like hormone production is impaired because of low fat diets. We yep. just need to make sure that we're not, you know, we don't hear one piece of information and go, oh, that's it. We need to look at the quality and where the food sources are coming from and how processed they are. And generally that's the best lens to look at any sort of dietary approach, I would say. Nice. So 25 to 30% of our calories, fats. What about if I'm eating for athletic? performance you look we we need fat for energy especially you know day-to-day fats are slow burning energy it requires more oxygen oxygen to be broken down and burnt as energy so it's a slower energy fuel source which in some cases is a good thing you know it gives us that steady source of energy but from a sports nutrition perspective, I like to explain it as if you want to go far, we're going on fats. Yep. If you want to go fast, you're going on carbs. And if you want to win, it's definitely going to be carbohydrates for that short, sharp energy burst, purely for the fact that our body takes longer to produce that energy from fats. It's a good slow burn, but carbohydrates are going to give that that quick, short, sharp energy bursts. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's the same boring old message. <laughs> we need a bit of both. But also, you know, I we've talked before about med- metabolic flexibility. I want my body to be able to efficiently use fats. I want my body to be efficiently using carbohydrates as well. I really don't see much benefit in having to choose one over the other. Why not have both? As they say. Keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, we've all been chatting for a while. We definitely want to know, can MCT oils help with fat loss? Look. Well, that's a big question. It's a big question. So, Because I'm first, just going to go buy a bottle of it and start sucking it down all day long. Well, once you've heard one study when you said it's it helps with fat loss, then you should automatically just swap out all your calories for MCT oil. But first of all, we need to take a step back and look at what MCT stands for. It is a medium chain triglyceride. Most of the time it's derived from coconut oil, which is is the basis of the coconut oil fad phase craze. You know, coconut oil fixes everything, Greg. Oh, you know, you've got you ball patch, put coconut oil, bad boyfriend, just put some coconut oil on him yeah. too, fixes everything. Bad boyfriend, there you go. Get some <laughs> advice for a few of you out there. <laughs> <laughs> no. So MCT oils, when we're looking at the ways in which fats are digested, we know that long chain, longer, bigger chains of fats have to be broken down, 
extensively, and then they have to be shuttled in and out of the cell. So using the carnitine shuttle, this is very basic stuff. As in, it's not basic. I'm giving a basic explanation of it. Long chain fatty acids get broken down, but they need to be shuttled in and out of the cell using like a number of different metabolic processes. MCT oils can be utilized in the body a lot faster. There is some research indicating that MCT oils can assist in weight loss. It's associated with increased satiety and it's also increased with increased thermogenesis, so heat production. So some of the studies have looked at adding MCT oils to a meal. So we've seen studies where they've had equal portions of pasta, tomato sauce with MCT oils, pasta sauce with long chain fatty acids or long chain fatty acids, and then a sort of a control. And they saw that the group that were consuming MCT oils in their meal had a slight increase in their metabolic rate associated with MCT oil consumption. And this has been sort of replicated a couple of times, like we're seeing the same sort of trend with use of MCT oils. And we also see that they ask for their food later. And these are small studies. So we're just looking, you know, we're, we're still trying to build the picture here. And that also they ate less at the next meal. So the research is sort of has in the body of research around MCT oils has kind of shown that there's probably maybe like a 50 to 100 calorie metabolic benefit to consuming MCT oils in the diet. But what we also have to keep in mind is, so we see an increase in the thermic effect of food. So TEF, when we consume MCT oils, one of these studies showed that there was a 12% increase in oxygen consumption, which indicates you know the, the metabolic rate has ticked up. It's acute, it only lasts in so far as that meal lasts. Then with long chain fatty acids, we only saw a 4% increase in metabolic rate whilst consuming that meal. So you know we can kind of see that may Maybe by having MCT oils in a meal, we might be getting a slight benefit. But we also see that the satiety is there. So when I say satiety, I mean like the satisfaction of the meal means that people are eating, they're satisfied longer between meals, which might give a little bit of extra benefit in terms of eating less. Do you have any stats on that versus protein? Because obviously that protein is thrown around that area as well. I don't know the thermic effect off the top of my head with protein, but we also know that that protein has quite a high thermic effect in the body as well, which is why it's also associated with assisting weight loss as well. So we're looking at like a mild sort of very mild benefit in terms of replacing long chain fatty acids with medium, medium chain. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, And we're also seeing that behavioral aspect where people are less likely to want to eat, but it is quite small. It's a pr- it's small. So what we would say is that like we're getting MCT oils mainly from coconut oil. Are we crowding out like, you know, by replacing other fat sources with MCT, are we losing out any nutrients? It might be a tool that someone might use to assist with weight loss, but it is not a weight loss tool by itself it's not going to get you anywhere quickly as long as like if you're not in a calorie deficit taking mct oils you know in large doses is more likely to put you over your calorie budget than it is to be under your calorie budget if that makes sense so again this is one of those things where the research is indicating that there may be a benefit to using mct oils it's also an efficient you know energy source and that's why we're throwing it with coffee these days and that type of thing uh, yeah look at it's when we're looking at the coffee sort of thing they're looking at you know it reduces 
is the jittery impact of the caffeine. Mm. I'm not really sort of across the the ins and outs of that. I have been in the past, but not right now. But it's more from the energy source. It's a sort of a, it's a it's a clean energy. They're saying like yep. it's an energy source that is easy to use. So you know it's quick quick energy and fats are slower burning energy than say carbohydrates or protein. So that sustained energy factor there. So it is it is definitely a tool that you would have on the whole when you're in a calorie deficit. It might give you that little bit of extra burn across the day but you know standalone by itself it's not like a magic bullet that's just the general theme with all things weight loss we need to look at exercise we need to look at diet quality we need to look at calorie intake we need to look at macronutrient profile of the diet we need to look at behaviors and little things like caffeine little things like mct oils little things you know those are little one percenters that we once we've got the diet and exercise under wraps using mct oils might be something that someone might enjoy and might be a tool that they use but again it's sort of you know we're looking at maybe 50 calories extra burnt per day and maybe reduction in the calories consumed because of satiety so that's how we might be assisting with weight loss with it as well so harry the big question around mcts if i'm going on a weight loss diet weight loss journey whatever word you want to use i know you're not big on those either of those terms should i be considering getting mct into my daily diet it i would say that it could be a tool that some people who you know enjoy or they're fair looking at you know changing the fat profile of the diet it would be one tool that they might look at you know all fats are going to improve satiety and we can see here because of the mechanisms around which you know mct oils are consumed but it is a small impact i wouldn't say it's again the silver bullet but it could be something you know if you if you're that way inclined you might look at mct oils as one of the tools that you use in your toolkit to help reduce calorie consumption to lose weight all of us keto people we know mcts rock so we're going to roll on from that like can we touch back on vegetable like we've just talked about mct which we've pretty much put out as it's a good fat is that a good is that a good term to use it's it's smart fat it's a fat it's a functional fat here we go bring on the dietitian it's a functional fat i'll just do my instagram post eating my functional fat It may be useful as a part of a balanced diet, Greg, you know me. Yes, I know. (laughs) Let's not exclude any food groups. It's great advice. Still working. So you're putting it in the same category as our vegetable oils? MCT oils. No, look, coconut oil. It's a fat was your word you just said. It's a fat. Mm. Coconut oil is a fat. It Mm. happens to be rich in MCT oils. Brings a nice flavor to food. It can be great as a moisturizer. Is it going to save you from chronic disease? Probably not. But when we're putting it against vegetable oils, which are... Or hate mail to Harriet... Walker athletic eating. Bring it on. I've got <laughs> wondrously moisturized coconut oil skin. No, but when we're looking at vegetable oils. Like is coconut oil going to be the next vegetable oil in 15 years time? That's what I'm trying to get. Like vegetable oil once was good. Now coconut oil is in every menu and every diet I ever look at these days. Yeah, yeah, Is yeah. it the new vegetable oil in 10 years time? Oh, look, it could very well be. Like it, it's just hard to know. It's everything in, in moderation. <laughs> moderation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Blah, 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 blah. She's so That's why we got you on board, though, because you are telling us the truth, not telling us what we want to hear. I'm trying. There's a massive difference. I'm trying. So please tell me it's good and let's move on. Yep, it'll do. It'll do? It'll do. Okay. Let's go to the big bad boy, saturated.
add fat? What do you guys recommend? What we're looking at. There's a lot of us keto carnivore people hanging out these days. I know, and I'm really cognizant of the dietary trends today, which include ketogenic diets, which may or may not be high in saturated fat if you chose unsaturated fat sources. Absolutely, you can eat a very smart one. You can eat a ketogenic diet that is full of really nutrient-dense foods, or you can eat a ketogenic diet that is full of fried crap, you know. So it's the same as... What about my heavily marbled piece of meat? Wagyu is delicious. Mm. That's that's a whole other kettle of fish. Saturated fat, you know, it, like we sort of discussed before, is so increased, you know, excess consumption of saturated fat is associated with heart disease. And I think that is still on the radar. We still need to be cognizant so of that. So you said 25 to 30% of our calories from fat? Yes. So how much of that 25? We don't want more than 10% coming from saturated fat. Of look, our total calorie intake? Of our Not of our fat, fats. Of, of our, our fats. fats. Okay. Yep. So look, if you're not deliberately trying to eat saturated fat, it's actually not a, like it's not a What's going to happen target. if we totally avoid it? That's a good question. I don't think anything really would happen. Like okay. I think it's hard to avoid it if you're eating meat. There is a level of saturated fat in animal products, absolutely. There is a large group of people who don't eat meat. There is a large group of people who don't eat meat. So what happens, we're still, as long as we're still getting our sort of our dietary fats from plant-based sources, that's fine. We're still getting our essential fatty acids. We do need to eat a larger amount of essential fatty acids if we're getting them from plant plants because of like I was discussing but that conversion from the plant-based sources into the bioactive um, essential fatty acids, sixes and threes. But that's okay. Like that's, that you know, where every time we change our diet, from like we go sort of we're cutting out food groups and whatnot there is always a risk that we're going to be running into nutrient deficiencies and whatnot it's just a matter of being aware of how it changes our diet up and how do we if, if it's a dietary approach that suits your lifestyle and that you enjoy or for ethical reasons you want to follow then that's fine but you just need to be aware that there's there may be implications and manage those accordingly and here's a stupid question because i've got lots of them when it comes to fat say you are hooking into a big steak are there other things you should avoid in that meal around that to lower the risk of of having more than 10% saturated fat? Like, and I'm going to throw it out there straight. Bread with fat, carbs with fat. Like, is Look, this true or is this just great? It's it comes. I think it comes down to calorie load. Like, mm-hmm. you know, our, our bodies are going to be breaking down. When you're eating a 400-gram T-bone, you're loading up. <laughs> you are loading up with excess calories mm-hmm. and any excess calories are going to be stored as fat. So I'll take short-term calorie control yep, out. out. Let's just talk about, I'm talking about my, my general well-being. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about if I am going down this path, should I be, and I know you don't like avoiding groups, I can grab them later on in the day, but <laughs> should I be avoiding certain things if I am going to go over my recommendation? Of the, well, I mean, I would reduce I would reduce the, the portion size of the meat that you're consuming. No. I know that's boring as well. No, no, that's stupid. Yeah, so boring. But look, there's, you know, in terms of nutrient partitioning. Uh, that's a good word. So that's what I was trying to say. Is consuming a large amount of fat going to be interrupting carbohydrate metabolism? They sort of happen concurrently under, you know, via different pathways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the obviously when we consume carbohydrates, they get processed in a different manner to which fats get processed. They all sort of end up in the liver where they can be either utilised as energy or stored as fat or stored as glycogen in the case of carbohydrate but really you know is one going to be shutting down the other hard to say like i'm not sure like our body is used to we're used to consuming mixed meals there's probably not going to be a major issue with consuming a mixed meal and having carbohydrates with your fats and again it comes down to load and how much is in the meal i think when people can consume appropriate portion sizes we don't really need to be asking those sort of questions i suppose for a long time the world 
world said, gee, if you're going to eat protein and fat, don't eat carbs. Yeah. Like that, that, you know, there's these diet methodologies diet methodologies that maybe didn't make it into textbooks. But, mm. and you know, the other one, if you get... You know, uh, when they didn't make it into textbooks, they probably weren't that great. No, but can I just say there, food order can make a difference. And it can make a difference in so much that like when we consume like proteins and vegetables first, we tend to eat less. And there tends to be less of a glycemic response because of the fibre slowing down, gastric emptying because of the protein, helping us keep full, being satiated, eating less calories. Fat, hypothetically, I suppose would probably have, you know, a gastric emptying. It it's, it's actually reduces the glycemic index of a meal. If we consume a meal that has a source of fat in it, our blood glucose levels are not going to be spiked as heavily. So in some respects, it's it's a good idea to have mixed meals because it does slow the rate at which energy enters into our system and it keeps our body on a more even keel. You know, we know from research that, you know, to an extent, eating your vegetables and protein first will mean that you're eating less calories, you're more full, less glycemic response or good in a practical sense though i don't know many people who are just gonna be like all right i'm gonna have this first and then this first and this this first like is it practical unless you've got you know we're looking at insulin resistance it might be a practical recommendation to say have some veggies first have your protein portion first and then go for the rest of the meal but in terms of whether or not you know which order your stomach doesn't really know what which ones come first it goes into the small intestine it gets broken down by the enzymes and then it'll go it in the different pathways associated with carbs fats and proteins obviously your body has to work harder to break down stuff when you're having large meals but does you know you know having protein and fats with I mean, you can only have carbs with protein but no carbs with fats mm. see you had heard what i was talking about I, i'm just you clarifying just dodged it. I do, look it, it comes down to again caloric load as to whether it's going to be fattier and and also we need to look at you know when we are consuming fats and carbs it's delicious i'm more likely to eat over overeat fats and carbs together than I am to eat just carbs or just fats. Like, look at it this way. If I have a plain boiled potato, which is carbohydrate rich, and I just consume that, the likelihood of me binging out on like multiple potatoes is very low. Mm -hmm. If I had a chunk of butter sitting next to me and the likelihood of me binging out on that, very low. If I put the butter on the potato and then sprinkle it with salt, that's delicious. So take I want, a second to visualise that. I want five. Mm. And it's the same with donuts. If I took the awful vegetable oil in which those donuts were fried away and then just had the dough, I don't really want either of those separately. But when you put fat and carbs together, lordy lord, it is it's just a miracle. And you, you either coat it in sugar or you coat it in salt and it is like it's on for young and old. We want to consume more and more and more of it. So in that respect, I think combinations of food makes a difference. But that's probably where the theories came from, to be honest. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's where we get mixed up. We start looking at, okay, is it is it because of the digestive pathways or is it because of the sort of hedonic love? You know, does it taste delicious? Yeah, it does something to my brain that says I want like five of them, not just one boiled potato. So, you know, there is, you know, there is some importance there. But when we look at fats as a topic it's a huge one. We're looking at the caloric percentage from our diet. We're looking at the types 
of fats that we are consuming. We're looking from a cooking perspective, the behavioural, like the actual behaviour of that fat. Does it oxidise easily? Is it shelf stable? I'm glad you brought that up. Does it cook properly? So if I'm cooking with fat mm-hmm. and it's starting to burn, yep. what, what's the stories around that? Like I've heard things carcinogenic, it's this, it's that. Yeah, like- so we get things when we, when we cook with fat, each fat has a different smoke point. So smoke point is basically when it burns. Mm-hmm. And that's just another property of fat by which we can judge fat. So, so far, how we judge fat, we've got, you know, types of fats, where the fats have come from. And this is another one, what fats are best to cook with. And this comes down to a really practical thing. Different fats have different smoke points. And the more refined fats tend to have a higher smoke point, which is why they're really beneficial for cooking. But we know when we when we burn foods, we get the production of the heterocyclic amines, which have Can been... say that again? Heterocyclic amines. Somebody better make a YouTube clip out of that. Uh, <laughs> she had to sing it. Did you hear that? She had to sing it. Heterocyclic amines. But yeah, what we get is this production of like toxic, you know, chemicals. And I hate saying the word toxic and chemicals because it sounds really profound. But it, it is literally, they are, they're compounds that are not good. They react in our bodies poorly. And then there's other fats that, yeah, they've got high smoke points. So you can fry with them and they won't produce fat. They're highly stable at high temperatures. Whereas you've got the other fats fats that have sort of more health benefits like olive oil say when you start cooking with oil olive oil at a high temperature because olive oil has like a high antioxidant component as well which is why it's so good for you once we heat the antioxidant the oxidant the antioxidants get sort of depleted in the, in it so we want to you know look at the types of fats that we're cooking with as well so this is what are we cooking with these days which fats i mean obviously i brought up vegetable oil early it is in everyone's cupboard except when i had a chat to my wife about it a couple of weeks ago it's not in there anymore oh sad <laughs> No, we excluded a food group. I'm sorry. But which which fat should we be looking at? I mean, we, we walk down at Coles and Woolworths and Aldi or wherever you shop and yeah. there is five, ten different fats I can choose from, even getting into my nuts now and that type of stuff. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, tradition, traditionally the, the fats that are, have, are more stable at higher temperatures for like frying, and I'm not saying it's a good thing, but you know, vegetable oils are good at high temperature. I'm not saying that they're good. They are good at high temperature. Rice bran oil is quite stable at high temperatures peanut oil is quite high at high temperatures and you see this with like asian cooking there's a lot mm. of peanut oil so yeah they're, they're they're probably the better ones but we don't really want to be encouraging people to fry stuff which is probably my caveat with that but yeah like a, I mean i use a light olive oil for cooking i don't cook it at high temperatures and i'm also not considered sort of probably a less sort of nutrient dense olive oil like it's a commercial olive oil that i use for cooking just for light like pan frying yeah. that would be the one that i would use fairly regularly maybe a rice bran oil for cooking as well some people like the taste of coconut oil and they'll use that for cooking because it is quite good at higher temperatures and then the sort of the cold pressed like olive oils and avocado oil and some of the sort of the nut oils they're generally not so good with cooking they might use them as a salad dressing or you know over food as well what are the benefits of a cold pressed oil it comes down to that sort of antioxidant component because it's not being heated we're not losing Yeah. yeah yeah we're not losing the antioxidant component of that so anytime we heat something we tend to lose a bit of the nutrient density of it 
let's get down to the, another one. Storing oil. Do I store it in the fridge? Do I store it in the cupboard? What should I be doing with my fats? Yeah, well, when you, look, when you look at oils that are sort of liquid, I mean, you can keep, I would keep a good quality olive oil probably in the fridge. Obviously not keeping it too long out. You know, there is that risk of oxidation. We do see olive oils. Because as soon as you open the lid, it would start. Oh, it, it's being exposed. Starts, yeah. It's being exposed to oxygen and therefore it more likely to oxidize. And that's when we get sort of fats going rancid. We can keep, oil, you know, you'll see a lot of oils that are, are in dark containers. And that's for that reason as well. Amber. Amber. Uh, and then I'd be keeping, you know, Generally speaking, like I'll keep sort of fats in the fridge, but you know, oils can be kept on, you know, on the on the shelf and they're fairly stable. So, so how come um, MCT oil can be in a, gla- a clear glass bottle? That's a good question. Coconut oil. I probably could come up with an intelligent answer to that, but I believe you. Whatever you say. So. Just because uh, it looks good. Because it looks good. That's probably the exact reason why it's in a clear glass bottle. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm going to pass on that. It's not bad looking oil when you look at it. Really. Well, it depends. Like you know, if it's semi-solid, you know, when it gets like a little bit melted, but a little bit solid still it doesn't look that great and that's purely aesthetically speaking there's no science behind that or intelligence so we haven't really touched on omega nines at all do we need to um we could but i you know i think for the threes and six is a big topic like that's yeah yeah yeah, it is a big topic and i think for the sort of simplicity of today we can go down that path another day but we could probably just keep that as another source of fatty acids that we can discuss but i think for the whole threes and sixes are where we should sort of focus our energy for now why do we why do we say that fats are like, especially like omega threes and sixes, are crucial for a brain function? A few, even down to like known chronic diseases in populations. Yeah, using I fats th- to. I think the dexa. Docahexanoic acid, the DHA, is associated with brain health. The actual pathway mechanism for that, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be able to tell you straight off the top of my head. We know for brain development in children, we are definitely looking at making sure that they've got those healthy fatty acids in their diet. And DHA is definitely one of those ones which is associated with brain health. We're also looking at fish oil supplements if people aren't consuming oily fish on a regular basis for those anti-inflammatory properties that we see in omega-3 fatty acids. So they're definitely... And it's obviously there's a lot of brands out there selling omega-3s. Yes. So you often see that brain health is a low dose, whereas inflammation joint health is a large dose. A higher dose. Yeah. yeah, so I think omega threes are associated with down regulating certain inflammation markers, which is you know how that they sort of work in reducing inflammation on a cellular level. And so it might just be a dose response, you know, for the brain development, we want a regular, well, you know, for for some impacts, we want a regular low dose and that's what gets us the results. But maybe if, it, you know, in a clinical, you know, when we've got an actual diagnosis, we might need a higher dose to see the, the benefits. And, and when we're looking at inflammation, we're probably more looking at like cellular inflammation. We're looking at changing the, the profile of this, the fatty acid profile of the the cell okay interesting since you want to go i'm going to keep going i've got a little note here epa and dha they're two words you've used when discussing omegas yes fill us in because we've all heard about them epa dha so they're eicosapentaenoic people can google it don't worry about acid it. and yeah. docohexanoic acid they are two of the omega-3 fatty acids that we get generally from marine sources oily fish we also get them in a lot of literature a lot of literature and people talk about epa and dha 
DHA and the omegas all the time. Yeah, they're our essential fatty acids. So they're the ones that we're talking about yep. that have those anti-inflammatory properties and they're generally the sort of prescribed dose is what research has shown us have those anti-inflammatory properties. So consuming, we can get them from the diet. We don't need to supplement them if we are consuming. I think it's sort of oily fish three times a week is yep. generally what will give us that level of anti-inflammatory. And also we got to throw lifestyle into there. You know, we want to make sure they're exercising a healthy diet. It's not, again, it's not a single nutrient answer. Those omega-3 fatty acids play a, a crucial role in a lot of different functions, you know, cognitive function they help keep our bloods you know bloods flowing well throughout the body so there's a lot you know they play a lot of different roles but it's really important that we you know we're consuming them from our diet primarily we're not just you know not just relying on sort of fish oil tablets i think it's a it's a you know it's important to look at the quality of the diet as well perfect so get on your omega-3s and sixes there's no issue with balance apparently (laughs) that's not what you quite said but you pretty well much put it out there that it's okay. We need to be mindful of where our fat sources are coming from and we need to make sure that we're choosing the highest quality, most unprocessed sources. We're looking at nuts, seeds, olive oil, avocado, oily fish. You know, the those are the sources that are going to be helping improve our health because of the fatty acid profile, but also because of the other nutrients that are contained in those foods. And then, you know, having a little bit of red meat, which is high in saturated fat on a regular basis is fine. It's, it's when we're going into the excess of all of these things that we do have a problem when we have an excess of omega-6s which is associated with a diet that is highly processed yeah we have a problem you know and it's crowding out those other healthy fat sources that's when it's a problem i'm not saying it's not completely a problem is it the only problem that's causing inflammation in the body probably not we've got things like stress we've got things you know lots of different other things that are causing inflammation so you know it's just not right to say it is just omega-6 omega-3 balance so that it is causing issues with inflammation. We just need to be mindful of where our fat sources are coming from. And if they are coming from those less quality sources of fats, then yeah, it is totally a problem. Again, pinpointing that as the thing that is causing inflammation in the body is just oversimplifying what is apparently a very complex topic, as we have seen today. Perfect. So just in closing, you've mentioned the word inflammation quite a fair bit in that last 10 minutes we've been chatting. What's inflamed? What is that inflammation you're talking about? Like, are we talking inflamed joints, inflamed organs? When we talk about inflammation... Yeah, I just want to get the general lowdown. I don't want the textbook definition. Just a general... Like, you talk, you've mentioned inflammation a lot. Yeah. So what yeah, is yeah, that yeah. inflammation? What, what is it? So inflammation is a an immune response yeah. to a foreign attack on the body. It is required in order for us to heal ourselves. So when I scratch myself, it goes red. Mm-hmm. That's one step. That redness is... And we get heat and redness. That is... A, they're all steps in the body's healing process so inflammation is is highly necessary in our body when inflammation becomes a bad thing is when we are chronically trying to put out fires in our body in essence so chronic mean long term long term so acute inflammation is that that redness that soreness that heat that gets produced which is a sign that the body is healing itself so there's little cells that come in and eat up all the debris in the body and we can clear out and we can replenish the cells there and and fix the body chronic inflammation is basically unresolved inflammation so with acute 
dispute, by the time that that, you know, and this is what's happening inside our body as well, by the time mm. that little cut has healed up, we know that it's resolved. Yeah. Whereas, you know, long-term inflammation is unresolved inflammation and it is generally looking at being the root of a lot of different disease pathways, which is why it's not so great for us to be in a state of chronic inflammation. Okay, nice. What's your big closer on chewing the fat? Chewing the fat. Well, as we have seen, like it's a really big topic. We need to look at fats in terms of calories in our diet being quite energy dense. We need to look at fats in terms of where they're coming from and prioritizing fats that are from unprocessed sources that are rich in those monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. A little bit of saturated fats is is fine in the context of a healthy diet. We want to make sure that we are avoiding fried foods and those heat-treated fat to ensure that, you know, we're not putting our body, you know, exposing our body to large amounts of, you know, those oxidized fats, which aren't so great for our health. And we want to make sure that the oils that we do use, the fats that we do use are stored in appropriate fashions. We want them to be cool. We want them in dry. So we can look at fats from a broad range of directions. And it's important to to look at it as such. So we're not just demonizing fat as, you know, it's what makes you fat. It doesn't. In the context of a calorie balanced diet and a high quality diet with lots of healthy foods in there that we've discussed earlier, fat is just a macronutrient that we can, you know, enjoy in our diet and is not, you know, definitely again, not one of those things that needs to be demonized per se. We just need to look at it pragmatically. Nice. Well, thanks for coming in again. We really, I really appreciated that. That was a big one. So that was a bopper. Yeah. Chewing the fat over and out. Today's podcast was brought to you by our partners in Fit, Happy and Healthy, ASN, Nutrition Warehouse, DY Discount Vitamins, Fat Burners Only, Evelyn Fay, Mr. Supplement, or find a retailer online at bodyscience.com.au forward slash retailers.